Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Inside Insights Podcast. This is the last episode in Season 1, and it is a good one. I got to talk to a guy named Matt Stumpf, who has a really interesting story. Basically, growing up, he was labeled as a kid with special education needs. Around the age of 11, he joined martial arts classes where he noticed his, his mental abilities and his focus and concentration started to improve drastically while being in these martial arts classes. Long story short, he went on to graduate college with multiple graduate degrees. Um, he is the co-owner of a martial arts school here in St. Louis, and he's actually a special education teacher himself now. Um, this, this interview was super insightful, and uh, I think you guys are going to get a lot of value out of it. Um, since this is the last episode of the season, guys, if you haven't already, please subscribe and follow the podcast, and, and follow us on Instagram at, at Inside Insights Pod. For those of you who are already following and subscribed, you guys rock. Matt, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. I'm excited to be here, Kevin. Thank you. Yeah, definitely. Um, so, uh, so Matt, can you just kind of start us off with, with where you're from and then um, what you're currently doing nowadays? Okay. Well, currently, I'm a special education teacher here in, uh, in St. Louis, Missouri. And uh, I also teach at a martial arts studio in Maryland Heights. Mm-hmm. So do you, is, now do you own the, uh, the martial arts studio? Is that uh, are you like a co-owner or something? Yeah, I'm co-owner with, uh, with a few partners of mine. Okay. So we've been in business for about five years now, so I'm really lucky with that. And then I've been working in the special education setting for, uh, I believe, my 13th year working in special education. Okay. I, I worked for the Division of Youth Services for about three years. Okay. And then I also worked for the Department of Corrections for about a year. Okay. As far as like the, the special education uh, kids or people you work with, is there like a specific type of uh, person that you work with or is it kind of across the board? It, it's, a, it's across the board, but a, a lot of students that I service work are um, identified with either an emotional disturbance or what you might call OHI, which means other health impaired, okay. so, which is another, another way of, of describing just having a variety of different special education needs that have to be served service in a variety of ways. Uh-huh. And I listened to your Ted talk, um, which oh, was really you. interesting by the way. Yeah. Um, thank you. And, and in that you, you basically talk about, um, how you use martial arts as a way to, I, I guess, improve mental ability and then teach mm-hmm. that to other people. So can you mm-hmm. kind of talk about, I guess, for one, how you got started in martial arts okay. and then how you kind of drew that connection? Yeah, absolutely. For sure. No, thank you. I, um, my martial art journey and my special education journey kind of go, go side by side. Mm -hmm. I'm a little bit different as a special ed teacher because I actually was once a special education student. So I actually had a special, special education identification myself. And so what I noticed when I was in school was the socialization that kind of happened to special ed students was just was just different, you know. You you spend a lot of time kind of being isolated, and I also noticed that there was a big classroom control was a big issue. Mm-hmm. Also, that ability to sit and be quiet, you know, something that I have found as a, as an educator 
is that we kind of tell ourselves a story that when we're looking at a student that a real quiet, really obedient student is the student that's learning. That's not always the case. And so my, my academic performance was definitely not up to snuff. And the, the classroom control was, 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 pretty, was pretty rough in a, in a lot of classes. And so this was really starting to kind of impact my self-esteem. And my parents put me into a, a martial art program that was, that was pretty, relatively close to our house at the time. The, the guy who started his name was Sean Becker. And I, I think for me, one of, one of the key components of just being in his program was, was that was Sean, Sean Becker was a, was a first guy to tell me, one, that I was kind of good at something. So that was real weird. You, you have a, you're, you're kind of told that you're, you're, not being, you're not very good at something for a long period of time. You start to believe it. That internal dialogue starts to become real toxic. Yeah. And so Sean was the first guy that really started saying to me, hey, you know, you got to visualize what you want to do. You got to have a real clear picture of what you want. But then you have to, hey, you have to execute. And it, sound, it sounds real, real hokey, Kevin, but, but something that he got me doing was just like focusing on how I stood, how I breathed. And he would always say this thing to me, which I didn't, I didn't get to talk about the TED Talk because I loved doing the TED Talk, but I, I was super nervous. So I, you, you're, you're a little more um, cognizant of what you're saying. But he would always say this thing to me. He would always say, you know, you weren't the person you were a month ago. Is what he would always say. He goes, man, remember, he said, remember last month when you were going to do that kick? You couldn't do it. And now here you are and you're doing it now. And, and I was just fit, feeding off of what this guy was saying. So, so what happened was as my martial arts career started to unfold and as I started almost basically believing in myself. In, in what I, age was this, Matt? Sorry to interrupt. I, I was about 11 years old, and, and it's real funny because I remember going in, into his office with my father. I was sitting down, and I was, and I was sitting down, and I was looking at the ground. I was so nervous, you know, because, because oftentimes as a special, educa special education student, which, which I was and still am, I didn't understand auditory directions. Mm-hmm. And so the teachers were saying stuff to me and I, and I would just, I was just aghast at, at the amount of information that was coming my way. It was almost like living in a vacuum, if that makes sense. And you start learning these really dependent strategies relying on other people to help you get by where like other people are telling you what to do on the assignments or other people are, or they might be ignoring you or other people are trying to help you completely work and things like that. And, and so anyway, I was about 11 I'm, I'm training every day. It just sucked up all my time. And, and also, too, because I'm getting so much positive affirmation from this gentleman that I, I was just like, oh, man, this is great. He said, you know, you got to start with your breathing. And he goes, and you have to, you know, you, you got you to believe in yourself. And he would always make these big statements to me. He goes, man, remember last week when you could only do 10 push-ups and now, now you did 15 push-ups. So this is building up internal momentum in me. Mm -hmm. So then what ends up happening is I end up kind of getting my black belt. I'm really, really proud of that achievement. And I competed in a lot of tournaments and, and did relatively well. But, but the biggest thing I noticed was my, my self-esteem starts going up along with my ability to concentrate. Yeah. And I was able to finally visualize and prioritize and organize information in a way that was digestible to me. And that's really where my martial art journey really helped me out. It became a big deal. So then when I got into college and I remember going to the community college and 
having that ability to sit in the desk and breathe and focus on the words of the teacher and zone uh, everybody out just just helped me. My, my academic abilities literally exploded. So it, it's almost like, to me, it sounds like it's like a form of meditation almost, but you're more Absolutely. conscious. Would that be accurate to say? Yeah. No, I say that's completely accurate. Where I was, where I was really fortunate was that what Sean was really big on affirmations and he, he would make me kind of say these affirmations about basically me believing in myself. Yeah. And he would make me say these things at the beginning and end of every workout. And I just, it literally kind of, it sounds kind of hokey, but it rewired my brain, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Because what, what happens for a lot of special ed kids is they're kind of treated like, A, they can't do it. Like, that's the big underlying factor. Like, oh, you can't do this because you're, you know, you're identified in this area. Yeah, you can't do it. So then what happens is you start to believe it. And if you talk to a lot of special ed students, they, if you ask, if they ask them, they're normally very transparent. They'll tell you, yeah, that inner dialogue is really negative. Mm -hmm. That inner dialogue is talking them out of it. You know, and then also, too, I feel like a lot of the special ed kids are kind of socialized to be outside, outside the mainstream to begin with. Yeah. So they're, they're socialized to kind of like be away from things. So, you know, it's like, you don't see them trying out for teams as much or going for those, going for those things that, that they might've been really good at, you know? Like, do you, like, like, how does that, how is that problem solved? You know, like, Mm -hmm. you think it's the school system is set up poorly or, or should there be no. more things involving like meditation, like martial arts practices? Yeah. I, I, I think that, you know, as, as a teacher and I, and I say this, you know, my experience in education has been pretty, been pretty different where a lot of the special ed teachers that I have had the privilege to encounter for the most part are pretty motivated people. You know I mean? I think, I think special, special ed teachers are very much unsung and underrated in that they're triple volunteers. Mm -hmm. And I don't, and, and, and not to say, not on us going to citate it. I don't like it when people tell me teachers don't make enough of this. And my, my opinion is I, you know, having a job is a privilege, mm -hmm. having the trust of the community and of, of my principal and my, my coworkers, that's a privilege and not a right. And that's something I got to earn. And I don't think of it monetarily, yeah. but I think a lot of the teachers that I work with are very motivated to be there. But I think one of the issues that happens is, is, is the system gets so, we, we worry so much about so many different things. You got to worry about standardized tests and you got to, you know, you got to worry about students performance here and you got to get baseline data. And then sometimes, you know, a student might come in and they're, you know, they're not, you know, they might've had some, something traumatic going on at home, you know? And so how you, you know what I'm saying? So as a, so as the teacher, I'm sitting there thinking to myself, you know, snap, how, how, how am I going to address the standardized test need when I know the students tell me something's really traumatic. And so I think that a lot of times too, it's not the instinct of people to sometimes go to those outside the box ideas. Yeah. You know, it's not the, you know, you know, I think, I think people forget, and this is, this is something that, that one of my, one of my instructors, uh, Guru Damasano, who, you know, I've had the privilege of, of learning from for so many years, said that if a student goes, he goes, it doesn't matter how smart or gifted a student is, he said, if a student can't handle themselves on a playground, or if the student is having a hard time going to and from school, he goes, they're, they're not gonna, they're not gonna perform well academically. 
And I think that it's sometimes not our instincts to take care of those things, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that in, and when we look at education, I think that martial art training is great for schools and great for kids. Cause, cause I, I can tell you even like martial arts, even the term, I'm not exactly a huge fan of because it implies that there's a, a pragmatic need to be good at a, to be good at a skill physically, martially, when, when, when what you're really working on yourself mentally, you know, it's like, I've, I've had, the, I've had the privilege of training people who maybe want to go into law enforcement or want to do something like that. And yeah, then, then you have to have a certain execution proficiency. Mm-hmm. But when you're looking at a, at a student who has, who has had a very, a lot of negative self-talk for a long period of time, the, the big goal I have is getting them to believe in themselves because I've seen so many people give up. I mean, I've sat across from people who grown adults who I knew were illiterate and watching them take their probation papers and throw them away. Mm-hmm. And that was, and, and that's something that I talk about with, with classes and people that I teach is, you know, if you've ever met somebody who's illiterate, that'll, that'll change your life. And nobody chooses to be that way. And I think what happens in the education system is it's hard to teach mental things like that to kids because you got to go through, you know, there, there's a little bit of, of hazing that I go through, you know, you get a little bit of kids looking at you. They're like, well, come on, Mr. Stump, what are we going to do? You know, I mean, you get that, especially when I do breathing exercises, but, but I think a lot of it is people know when they're being fed baloney, you know, if I give you baloney, you know, Kevin, and I'm telling you that I'm giving you a steak, you know, I'm full of it. Right. right. And so I think, for me, part of my, my appeal is my passion. And I think part of the appeal is I've been there. So I'm one of the few special education teachers who was a special education student for a long period of time. And I, you know, I, I tell my kids all the time that, you know, one of the worst things that can happen is when people don't give you advice because that means they gave up on you somewhere along the way. That means, that means they just abandon shit. And so when I get them doing the breathing, that's the first thing I do. I'll kind of run through that real quick. One of the first things I try to kind of walk through like the, some of the exercises you do. Yeah, absolutely. One of the very first things I do is I get them to just, to just breathe. And that's, and I, it sounds silly, but it's really hard to do. And that kind of goes back to skills of Sean Becker taught me years ago is he was, he was real big on those types of exercises. So I teach, kind of bring your diaphragm up, bring it back, bring is, it up. Is this in your, yeah. um, is this in your martial arts classes or special education classes? No, this is my special education classes. Okay. okay. So in my special, I, I do a little bit of it in my martial art classes as well, but you know, the difference is with the special education classes, the kids have to be there. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they have to be there and I'm not a big fan of busy work. I'm more of a fan of, of what I call meaningful work and work that is a good use of, of their time. And so one of the major things they do is they get them just to breathe from their abdominal muscles and breathe from their shoulders, breathe from your abs, breathe from your shoulders. Then I give them a suck in a big breath through their nose and we hold it, we hold it for as long as I can and shove it out as hard as I can. Because, because what I'm trying to do is put them in a maximum state of performance because I, I was actually heavily influenced kind of later in my education career, honestly, by Tony Robbins. And I was listening, I was listening to him, right? I mean, the guy was just, he was so passionate. What he was talking about, but what got me was when he said this and he's like, you know, motion is emotion. And he said that and I was like, dang it. Why didn't I ever think of that? Because he's a hundred percent right. How many, how many times do you go for a run and then you feel better? How many oh, times do you, time. 
yeah. all the time, right? And yeah. I'm lifting Just weights, and all high. of a sudden, right? And I feel myself participating in this seminar. And he's he's like lifting weights. He goes, everybody who hears me say I, and I'm listening. I'm like I, and I'm thinking like I'm in my basement lifting weights by myself. I'm a 38 year old guy in my basement by myself lifting weights, and here I am talking to him, and he's not even noticed nobody in the basement but me. And I realize there's a lot of power in that. Yeah. And so that's the first thing I get the kids to do is I get them breathing. The next thing I do is I, I look, there's a lot of science behind crossing the center line. And we don't talk a whole lot about that. And when you have to cross your hands rhythmically, it's called like binary, binary motion. I'm not an expert on the brain type of things. I, I kind of consider myself a bit of a, of a, of a Neanderthal in those senses. I just kind of know how to move forward and that's it. But what I do is I get them doing binary rhythmic motion, okay? And it kind of looks like where I'm, I'm taking my right hand here above my shoulder and then my left hand's underneath the armpit. And I cross over and then I cross again with that left and then I bring my right hand out. But what's going to happen, once my right hand goes out, my left hand goes back behind the shoulder and the left hand goes back that way. It's uh -huh. Right. And so when you're doing that rhythmically, if you can hold that for a minute, there's a lot of research out there that is supporting that, that how healthy that is for levels of concentration, how, how healthy that is just for thinking. Because when we're living, you know, we're living in a world now where, where kids and adults, we have distractions everywhere. You know, we've got, we've got screens, we got, you know, we live in a world now where it's like right now, if I wanna go have a really nice meal, and I want to download something on Netflix and watch it, I can do that whenever I want. And so because of that, our inclination is not to go do things that are difficult. Yeah. And so what I do with my own students is I demonstrate that to them. And I get kids all the time, I get kids all the time. Like, There's no way I could do that. There's no way I could do that. And I tell them, I go, I'm going to be able to get you to do this. And I'll tell them, I say, if you don't give up on me, I guarantee I can get you to do this in five, seven minutes. Like, there's no, there's no way you're going to be able to get us to do that in five, seven minutes. And then I do. And I get them to just keep doing it. And the big thing that I do is I try to take away the self-doubt. I say, look at that. It's getting better. And I keep feeding that affirmation to them. Because remember, their self-talk is usually, usually their self-talk is pretty negative. Mm -hmm. so, then what I, so then what I do is I try to keep feeding the positive. I keep going, man, is that better than it was just a, little few, a little bit ago? Oh, it's so much better. It's so much better. And, you know, that's one of the things that I, I took away from, from Sean. I remember him, I remember he would say things and he was always saying positive stuff to me, yeah. which was weird for me as a kid, because I was so used to teachers saying negative things. And this was the first time in my life that I'd ever really been noticed. And it was the first time in my life that I told I was, was good at something. And he told me, he said, the biggest enemy of anything is self-doubt. And he said, if I can, he goes, if you can get another person to doubt why they're trying to do a task or if you can get another person to doubt their presence in a place he said then the fight is over then sorry sorry won or lost and i and it was shocking how i remembered that because i took that with me into college because college became very was a struggle for me there are certain times in martial arts you know learning different things and and, and having to step up and and become better physically was a challenge for me and i had to remember that i thought man that's self-doubt and he He's 100% right. He's telling me all the time. He said, if you're good enough to walk in the door, he said, half your battle's already won. So um, where's the line drawn between um, 
like using medication or medicine to treat things and, oh. then, and then using like these practices, these like mental exercises, you know, I'm sure that's yeah. a hard, hard question to answer, but can you offer like any guidance there? Well, I will, I will tell you that, and this is going to, I'm going to, I'm going to bring this back. I used to work juvenile corrections for division use services. And I had a boss there uh, whose name was Audrey. She doesn't know I'm bringing her up in here. If she did, she'd be shaking her head. Uh, she was probably one of my greatest professional mentors. Okay. And she used to have, and I was really lucky to work with her too. I'm very lucky. I had a lot of really good mentors in key stages of my life. I really did. And I remember my first job, I'm like, like 25 years old. And I get this job in a youth facility. So it's Missouri Division Youth Services. And I, and I get this job and I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, you know, I, I don't know what this is. I've never done any, anything like this. I'm still kind of in grad school. Like I, I, I have nothing figured out. Mm -hmm. And I get in there and she was so big on kids doing outside the box things and physical things. So we would go on like bicycle rides. She was real supportive of us having like equipment to play sports. We had a ton of stuff. So anyway, where I'm, where I'm going with this is you get a lot of kids that were in there on, on medication. You get a lot of kids around. And when you see people in a residential facility like that, you really get to see the whole totality of who they are because, because you're dealing with somebody from about six in the morning when they get up to about nine, 10 o'clock when they're, when they're hitting their, hitting the racks, Right. So, so you get a whole range of motion of dealing with those people. Whereas like with school, you're only dealing with them in one setting. And that's key to remember. Correct in the in the Missouri Division of Services, I got the whole the whole rap line, and Audrey I thought did such an amazing job because when whenever that came up, she would always kind of say to the kids these little things, and she'd be like, you know, you're more than you're bigger than a pill, you're bigger than this, you're better than you, and she was always doing the same thing, pumping them up, positive thinking, positive thinking. And it got me thinking, I'm just kind of putting this out there. I'm not, I'm not big on saying, I, I've never said to a student, you should do this. And I, I've never said that because I feel like that's an individual decision. Mm -hmm. And I definitely believe in someone's right to choose how they're going to go on their journey of life, right? Because life's not easy for anybody. But I'm definitely a fan and a big supporter of that idea that the more that we push ourselves physically into kind of uncomfortable positions of growth that forces your brain to adjust. It just does. Mm -hmm. And what happens when your brain adjusts, you, you start getting better, whether you want to or not, you know what, you know what I mean? And, and, and naturally we kind of run away from things that are hard because no kid wakes up and goes, man, I can't wait to go to Mr. Stump's class and use text-based evidence to prove my theory. They don't do that. They're thinking about their friends. They're thinking about, so, and then on top of that, they're coming from maybe a traumatic home life. Right. Yeah. So yeah, it's kind of easier to take. It's kind of easier to take medication. It's almost easier too, because what I've noticed too, and this is the hard part is it absolves other people from blame. You know, you know what I mean? Where, Oh, you know, they can't learn this because they can't concentrate as good as the other kid or they can't No. You know, because I think, I think definitely I knew a lot of people that very, very easily could have been prescribed stuff. And then they, they got into like real physical activities and things like that. Because I, I know for me, when I run or when I bicycle, 
every day, or especially when I do, you know, martial arts, I also train in martial arts as well as teach it. So, you know, I train probably anywhere from about 20 hours a week, teach, actually teach people. But then I go and I'll train in Brazilian jiu-jitsu at another time because I, because I got to keep my mind in a zone where I'm learning. I got to put my mind in a zone where I am not going to, I'm, I'm not going to be the guy in charge. I'm not going to be, you know, I, I got to be the guy kind of scraping the top. And I think going back to your question is, yeah, when, when you're standing in front, when you're sitting in a classroom and you're looking at that teacher who is verbally presenting information, you're not processing that orally. Or if you're dyslexic and you're seeing things backwards and you don't know how to process that, it's very, very easy to say, well, obviously he has this identification let's pop the pill and it's going to release it right here i think for me i'm a very physical learner i love to learn things physically i love to get up and move i don't sit down a whole lot and so i learn really really well after i have been physically pushed so so to answer your question i think we go for that answer a lot but i think that I don't think that's in the best interest of kids. I think, I think we need to get kids moving. I, I'm a big fan of tactile learning. Yeah. I'm a big fan of that. Well, yeah, I'm, I, I agree with that because, I, I mean, I, I was in college a couple of years ago, and mm-hmm. so yeah. many of my friends were they'd – take, they'd take Adderall on a daily basis or they'd go right. to the library and, you know, do a yeah. study binge and, and rely on Adderall. I yeah. worry that that's the direction that, that kids are going or young, the younger generation is going now. Yeah, I think, well, and you know, I think, I think that there is, especially when, when you teach people, as I'm very fortunate in that I, I, I get to teach for the public schools, which I'm really lucky to have that position, but at the same time, I'm also teaching, you know, martial arts. And I have noticed, like, the merging of the two, like, in my world, that anything worth having is worth worth working for yeah but a lot of times and i and i will kind of put myself out there too teachers have to learn how to make that curriculum mainstream you know kids kid okay here's something i accept about being a teacher no kid is going to think something's important just because i say it's important so what i try to really express with my kids is hey you know Life isn't easy for anybody you're gonna you're gonna be let down in your life you're gonna you're not um you're going to think you have a job and then you're not going to get that job. You know, people are going to, you know, you're going to lose relationships and friendships. You're going to struggle. Life's going to really throw some curveballs at you. And so if you are in the habit and in the mindset of learning new things, of realizing your profession is growing, just like right now in the COVID situation, it's very, very hard to be positive because we all have to do a lot of different things. We have to do a lot of adjustments. This is, this is a time for growth. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a time where, you know, we're watching, we're literally watching professions change at an accelerated rate. And we can choose to sit around and go, man, I really wish it was two years ago. Yeah. But if I keep thinking like that, I'm, I'm going to get passed up. So I, so I've got to definitely stay on top of those new tools, you know. What do you think about like social media and just technology in general, where we do have all of this opportunity at, at our fingertips yeah. Like you said, mm-hmm. you know, you can order food or just yeah. do anything pretty much within minutes now. 
Yeah. I think, I think for kids, and this is where I think martial art training, and I'm, I'm glad things because that, that got me, that got me back on, on, on track is because we can have those things whenever we want, getting good at a physical skill is not always people's first priority. Mm -hmm. Right. Because I guarantee, I guarantee that Tom Brady, he might throw a couple tweets out there, but I guarantee he still gets his practice in, right? He still has to make all the right physical decisions to, to be good at his craft. And I think, I think what happens for a lot of kids where I think martial art training is great is because we have so many things online with, with Instagrams and, you know, now I know there's another, there's, there's all kinds of different apps, social media things all over the place that because we have things like that and we have them instantly when we're not good at something physically in, instantly, we don't know how to process that. Yeah. So I think that that's where martial art training is a great thing for kids and adults to be, to be quite frank, because you can't, you, you, you have to be good at a physical thing and you have to keep doing it to practice it, to get good at it. Right. And that's good for people of all ages. And that's good for people of all professions. I mean, you know, I'm a martial art instructor and I'm, and I'm really privileged to get people's time and I love watching people grow. But at the same time, man, I love my growth too. I always, I always say that going to the gym or like fitness in general mm -hmm. coming into my life is probably one of the best yeah. things that's ever happened to me. Just because like you said, that mm -hmm. like delayed gratification just kind of builds the like mm -hmm. mental toughness almost. And just mental, yeah. like, I feel so much better after going mm -hmm. to the gym than I did before typically. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Because you know, when your body sweats and you feel more, you feel more confident because, you know, you can you know, I think it was, I think it was Ed Milet that talked about, you know, keeping promises to yourself mm -hmm. and that keeping, you know, and that when that, when people keep a promise to themselves that they're going to do something and then they go and do it. And then you see the results for it three months later. And then you start gaining that momentum. And self-confidence too. Yeah. That's where the real confidence, that's where, that's where the real confidence comes from. You know, it doesn't just, you know, and, that, and I think that the problem is we kind of know that if I give you a multiple choice test that you're half prepared for, but you did good on it. You know, let's just say I give you multiple choice tests and I'm like, Hey man, here's, here's the test. And you, you, you know, you do, you do pretty good at it, but you could have done better or you could have done worse and you end up guessing on maybe a third of it, but you guess right, you're not going to be really confident. Mm -hmm. You're going to say, oh, man, I lucked out. That's what's, that's what's really going to happen, and I think that that's a dangerous place to be in, especially when it comes to tests. Well, and it's, it's frustrating because, like, like you were saying earlier, um, mm -hmm. it, it only judges a certain type of learning. You know, there's so Correct. many, so many mm -hmm. kids that, like you were saying, learn yeah. in different ways. I tell this to my class all the time that when I was in, uh, I, I tell this to my, to my classes that I, that I've taught at SIU Edwardsville or that I've taught at, uh, at the, where I, where I teach special education. I've told them, you know, I, I failed college classes, but then I turn around the next semester and I did outstanding. I remember taking statistics, uh, when I was in, in, in doing criminal justice and I took statistics and I did so poorly the first go around that I knew that I was probably not going to get a C because I just did, could not understand how this instructor taught. It wasn't her fault and it wasn't my fault as much as I, I, I did not understand. 
So what I did was I dropped from the class and I audited the class. While I audited the class, I still came to class every day and took notes. People looking at me like, I thought you dropped. And I'm like, eh. and I would just kind of ignore people. Then I copied all the problems, but then between Christmas break and the next semester and spring break, I literally copied all the problems out again. And then I figured out, hey, there's only so many math problems you can do. And then it was easy for me, but I needed that many reps to catch, to catch up. And it was hard too, because I would come up with like these little games where I would go and I would go and like, I would practice, but then I'd go run a mile. So I would do like a chapter. I do three or four things. I run a mile out, run a mile back and then I go practice again. Or I, or I would literally run to the point of exhaustion. And then I would sit down and start to study because that was how my body was exhausted enough Mm -hmm. that I, that I, my body was exhausted enough that I could actually do the thing that I was asking my, my mind to do. Right. And that was, that's a hard challenge. And we don't, we don't teach kids how to do that as well, because, you know, we have really strict instructional minute time, then we have strict passing period time. And, mm -hmm. and I understand those things are needed. Of course, you know, those things are completely needed. You got to have that whenever you've got 700, 800 people coming to one building at the same time, you have to have law and order, Right. Right. But you also have to have, in my opinion, a certain amount of participation in gym and different specials, you know, different, different um, classes like that, because the, the physical learner is, in my opinion, getting lost. And that, that's where we really need a resurgence of that, in my, in my opinion. So if there was like one takeaway or like one little like technique you could give to like the listeners on how to... Yeah like improve their focus or like improve mm -hmm. their ability to concentrate. Yeah. What do you think that would be? I, I think, I think if I was going to do a, a major takeaway, what I would say is really focus on your breathing and focus on breathing from your abdominals and try to tighten each level of your abdominal muscles. So instead really concentrate on that. So what I try to do is I roll my shoulders back and I try to, feel where my different abdominal muscles are just flex and release them right make them tense mm -hmm. and then breathe from different spots right and i keep my shoulders really far back because that's a good power position then as i keep doing i keep tightening them and loosen them and tighten them and loosen them and start with that then try to almost roll it like you'll almost look like a snake so your shoulders are back and as you tighten up your chest you tighten up your abdominals and when you do things like that and hold the picture in your head of what you want to get done. I'll do it. I'll do that sometimes at the start of a lesson. Like, you know, when I get into my classroom, I'll sometimes sit at my desk. If I know, if I know I'm teaching something that I think the kids might struggle with, or I'll know that if, if I might be having just something going on in a day, you know, we all have things going on in a day. I you know, sit back and I do this and I'll just hold my breath. I'll hold my breath for about 10 or 15 seconds and then I'll release it really slow. Then I'll hold my breath again. And I'll release it really fast. I try to get my brain and get my body into that heightened state quickly. And are you doing this like with your eyes closed? Sometimes, sometimes my eyes closed, sometimes my eyes open. Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. I, I really like the whole idea of meditation and, and visualization. So I've been kind of diving into that a lot lately. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. No, I think, I think we don't do enough of that. I think yeah. that as, as we move, as we move forward in this, in this kind of new world that we're in, I think the idea of visualizing and the idea of setting those goals and taking a small step towards them is going to become more and more and more popular mm -hmm. because people feel, people feel good 
when they can do something. Even you, 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 if you re, if you complete a book from cover to cover that you didn't think you could, you know, a big thick book, and you cover that, you get that thing done cover to cover. You're different than than you were at the start. Yeah, you can't put a price on that. And, you know? and and I've noticed that when I like do visualizations to where I'll I'll like feel the emotions as if I'm like actually present in the moment. So like. Vision, yeah. like envision myself like speaking on a stage in front of a bunch of people or something and then when i'm done i feel mm-hmm. just confident and like lively yeah absolutely well in having your shoulder and having your shoulders back and making that big i you know i, I when i when i teach pe i'll tell you i teach adaptive pe and i call it a superman stance i put everybody in the superman stance i'm like breathe from superman stance and you know what the kids the kids love it and, and it's a great great tool because when you're breathing from the Superman stance, there's a reason why your 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 nonverbals your nonverbals mean so much. You know, something that really really influenced me was if you ever if you ever watch Muhammad Ali when he when he fought uh, Joe Frazier. Most people haven't seen his fight. Fight takes place in March 1971. They're coming out to I think I think I believe it's the 13th round. Okay, I believe it's the 13th round. And, and Muhammad Ali has clearly has, has been outperformed by Joe Frazier. Mm-hmm. And Joe Frazier does this double hook. He hits him with this left hook. And when he does, Ali shoots like this. And he hits the, the back. His hip hits the back. And he isn't on his back for maybe, maybe three seconds at the most. And you see him. He hits his back. And he gets up. But he puts his shoulders back immediately. He's already like this. His eyes are rolled in the back of his head. And he sits up. And he puts his shoulders back. And he looks at, and he looks at Frazier. He did not slump. He didn't do anything. And if you look, he went right in that power position immediately. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and if you look at things like that in, in fighters and in people that, that are facing huge adversity. Because that was, in my opinion, that was a turning point in his career. And when, and when he came back, Joe Frazier later said, he said that that surprised him. Yeah. You know, he said that most people, when he hit like that, he said most people he knocked out. And to watch him go back into that power position, that was, that's key. If you, if you look at people that are dealing with, with success, you know, you know, successful people have that as a trait. That's what I try to get into my kids every day. I try to get them, you know, when, and, it, and it's hard because I'm like, hey, man, we're going to have a tough conversation with your shoulders back. You know, because, because I want to feel confident, you know, because life's going to throw curveballs. Life's not going to get easier. Mm-hmm. You know, life's going to get hard for everybody. And so when we're facing it like that, you know, I, I believe we have that great mindset for success. Yeah. I think I've read somewhere that just like standing in like a power position like that, like mm-hmm. it raises your testosterone levels or something. Yeah, It's crazy. I've heard that. Yeah. I, there's a lot of research out there that I'm kind of studying anecdotally that, is definitely lending it's definitely lending itself to to those notions of the physical learner being very important mm-hmm. and it's definitely lending itself to the more we do with ourselves physically it's impacting our brain because our, our brain's a computer and our brain is wired to you know release chemicals it keeps memories it processes information and one of the biggest things i try to tell my, my students all the time is that your brain reacts and it, it reacts all the time. And most of the time, your brain acts, um, keep in mind, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a neurosurgeon or a psychologist, but most of your time, your brain reacts in a way to keep you safe, either mm-hmm. physically, mentally, emotionally, it wants to protect you from harm. It's kind of like, if I make fun of you, you feel that tightness in your chest. That's your brain telling you, it's your brain wanting to keep you safe emotionally. 
So then you have to process through that. Thing. How are you going to react to that? And when, when you know that your brain is usually going to react, the goal is to get your brain to be proactive, not reactive. Because, you know, you know for me, I, I know, like in my, in my own life, dealing with disappointments and things that, that didn't turn out the way I thought they would, handling them in a heightened physical state was able to help me get through those things much, much easier than um, much easier than someone just sitting down or trying to stress eat or things like that. Yeah. Well, I, I really liked what you said about like the brain being a computer because I've been kind of diving into yeah. like the whole idea of the subconscious mm-hmm. mind and like what you feed it, yeah. you eventually start to believe, which I think has yes. been so like game changing yeah. for me like the past year or two. Yeah, absolutely. I know, I know David Goggins says this a lot that, you know, that the the most important conversation you have is the one you have with yourself. Yeah. And he says that all the time. And I think that that's very, very true because I know as, as a special education student, I talked myself out of a lot of success. Yeah. Because I was believing what other people were saying. And I will say as a teacher of special ed students, I think we talk ourselves out of a lot of people's success. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's like, you got to always be cognizant of those thoughts that are going on in your head and how thoughts that you're not just having about yourself, but thoughts that you're having about other people. Yeah. I don't think a lot of people realize that they have control mm-hmm. over these thoughts until like later on in life or until someone kind of yeah. goes them the light, you know? Well, and I, and I, and I especially think that, you know, it, the reason why some of this stuff is so hard and so difficult to attain is, is because, you know, a lot of, a lot of times too, where this stuff's hard to measure. You know what I mean, Kevin? Like it's, it's real, it's real hard to measure the impacts of something like that in order. I think, I think with, to get away, uh, to become more aware and make the best use of that inner dialogue, people need to understand, Hey, you know, sometimes people are saying things to you and they're actually looking out for your best interest. Mm-hmm. that's that's a big thing that happens with kids the reason why people are giving you input is because they actually think you can change yeah. and when you and it's really hard because you have to get kids to think that like oh you, you think i can do better? yes i actually think you can do better so where where i where i come in as a teacher is i say okay well you know the the breathing all this stuff is great it's, it's really really good but then i always tell the kids i say you know what's a good teacher look like what's a good student look like how have I got to contribute to it? How do you have to contribute to it? I try to get that team, that team thing going on because what's really important to remember, you know, Michael Jordan never won a championship without Phil Jackson. Mm-hmm. It took that team, you know, and if, if you, if you watch things like the last dance, like to me, what I got a lot out of that was the relationship that Phil Jackson had with that team. Everybody had a voice. It wasn't simply Phil Jackson telling them what to do. He might have to give certain players more voices, but everybody had a voice on that team. Yeah. Everybody had a presence on that team. Everybody had a value on some level. Yeah. Yeah, I could I love this stuff. I mean, I feel like we could talk yeah. about this forever. Uh, but, oh yeah, thank you. Hey, for the sake of time, I'm gonna wrap it up with the two my like two fun closing yeah. questions for you. Um so the first one is is if you could um sit down and have lunch with anybody dead or alive, who would that be and why? Oh, man. I can have lunch with anybody, dead or alive. 
and why? You know, you know who I'd say? I'd say George Chavalo. <laughs> and most people don't know who that is. He's a famous boxer, but he's one of the only boxers who fought Muhammad Ali, Joe Frazier, George Foreman. He fought all the great, he fought all the great heavyweights and, and, and very few people know who he is. And, and he's, and he, he came out of the fight game. Very, very, uh, very aware. I, I would, I think his life is an interesting journey. I, I've, I've read his book. I, I've watched a lot. I'm a huge fan of him. I think that, 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 that would be my answer. What was his name again? George Chavalo. All right. I'm going to look him up and, and check him out. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Last question. If you could go back right. in time and give, a younger version of yourself, a piece of advice, what would it be? You know, I don't think I, I think if I went, if I had the opportunity to go back and, and see a younger version of myself, I don't, I don't think I would say anything. Really? I would just kind of watch from afar. And, and the reason is because my mistakes and decisions be, you know, whatever they were led me to this place where I'm at now. And I have a, I have a really, really cool privilege in being a teacher. And I, I have an awesome privilege, you know, being a martial art instructor and helping to run a not-for-profit organization successful. And I don't think that I would be where I am without making those mistakes. I was a part of probably, let me count, four martial arts schools that closed and they all closed because they had kind of some negative cultures and it's neat that I, I'm a part of a great team now. Mm -hmm. And I became a teacher because I watched one, I was a special ed student myself, but then I watched a lot of people with special education identifications go to prison mm -hmm. and, and, and really see kind of the darker side of life. And that's what motivates me to be where I am today. And I think, I don't think I would be myself if I didn't have some of those failures. So I, I would look from afar. I might say hello. <laughs> Maybe I tell myself to eat a little healthier, but ultimately I, I wouldn't do that. Do you believe everything happens for a reason? <sighs> yeah, I do. Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think, I think there's, you know, I don't, I don't think that we're chess pieces, if that makes sense. I definitely don't believe, well, at least I hope not. <laughs> if I am, please move me towards the winning lottery ticket. No, but I, um, <laughs> I don't think I don't think we're chess pieces, but I definitely think that there there's a certain there's a certain amount of uh, determined outcome on certain levels. At least at least determined obstacles, and you get to choose you get to choose if you're going to face them or if you're going to just kind of shy away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree. I, I like that a yeah. lot. Um, all right. So if um, like if people wanted to connect with you or like just check out like your martial arts school, um, where would they where would they do that at? Yeah, we're uh, we're called the Applied Combatives Group, and we're in Maryland Heights. Um, so it's a, it's a it's a pretty 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 neat place. Um, they can go they can go online, uh, St. Louis Martial Arts Academy .com or uh, ACG ACG .com is is our way to go. We, we've got classes right now. They're they're uh, non contact classes, mm. but um, you know because obviously we got we got the COVID situation and things like that. But you know if people want to reach out, they absolutely could do that. Right. Awesome. Got to be over 18 though. Got to be over 18. Okay, cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, Matt, I, I appreciate you coming on, man. You, 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 Thank you're you. very knowledgeable on, on everything brain related and it was interesting. Oh, 
Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I, I got a lot out of it. I, it was just, this was a lot of fun. The time flew by. I feel like I was only talking for five minutes. Yeah. So then I looked at my clock and I'm like, oh man. So thank you so much. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. I, I appreciate you coming on.